For you guys who were not here last week, it was a very convicting message about really what are we seeking? That was kind of the lens through what we looked at the passage of Scripture. What do we seek in life? And what are we really seeking? Not what are we telling people we're seeking, not what do we want people to think we're seeking, not even what we want to seek, but what are we seeking? We saw that Jesus continually instructing the disciples in His path, and His path includes suffering. That doesn't mean that we're constantly going to suffer 24-7. We don't. And that's not what I'm saying. It's not what the text is saying. But what the text is saying that Jesus taught His disciples is the Son of Man came to serve, not to be served. And if you serve other people, and if you live a life of following Jesus, you will have suffering. Period. I don't know anybody that's ever followed Jesus really closely that's not suffered. They suffer for the people around them that don't know Jesus. They suffer for those that, that take Jesus' name in vain or take Jesus and don't even... They take some idol of Jesus, not the real Jesus. There's always suffering for those that live in a world that's controlled by the enemy temporarily who want to follow Jesus. But it may not mean that you struggle with physical pain or you struggle with financial burdens. It looks different for everybody, but the issue is we have a responsibility as communicators of His Gospel to communicate very clearly to people, if you follow Him, there will be suffering a part of it. That, that it's false to tell people only about all the things that He's going to give you. That's like, it's like a bait and switch. And that's not what we're called to do. We're called to be authentic messengers. I love what my friend Tommy Nelson said. He said, you know, he's preaching from Corinthians. He says, we're not peddlers of the Word. In other words, we don't have to manipulate people. We just tell them what it says. Listen, if they don't come, you can tell two people the same message. One says, man, I want to follow Jesus. One says, I want to kill you. I hate you for believing that garbage. And so it's the same message, two different responses, because God does the work in the people. It's not our responsibility to bring people into the kingdom. It's our responsibility to be a witness of what He's done in our life. That's what He was trying to get across to the disciples. They didn't get it initially when they were walking with Him. He said, you put others first. You don't take and, and, and just manipulate. You give and you serve people. And then He used this example at the end of last week of, of Matthew did of two blind men. One of them was Bartimaeus crying out. And He was showing that even though they were physically needy, they had spiritual vision because they were crying out to Jesus. The disciples were walking with Him. They could see in a physical sense, but they were spiritually blind to what He was trying to teach them. That's why that's there. And so often, guys, we come into the kingdom, we say our prayer to get in, we get sprinkled, we get baptized, we get confirmed, and we think we're not needy anymore. Because we got it. We're on the train. We're good. And that's not the way it is. We are always needy until we're on the other side. And when you stop feeling like you're needy is when you start allowing pride to come in and you start looking to obtain instead of to give. It's always about what I get. Well, I'll do this, but I've got to get something in return. Jesus said, no, you go serve. If I serve, you serve. I wash feet, you wash feet. 
And we looked at that last week. Well, as we finish that and go, go into chapter 21, it's a coronation. It's, it's Jesus' coronation day as the Messiah King, the one who was promised. Now, he had been on a trek from Jericho, 15, about 15 miles up, 3,500 feet, ascending to Jerusalem. And he came in, and this is Passion Week. This is the week, the last week of Jesus' life in his earthly ministry. It's the week before the cross. What if you knew? You had one week left. You had one week. See, for most of us, we don't really have any control over when we go. All the money in the world, look at Steve Jobs, did not buy him a cure for cancer. The man had billions of dollars. And he died before he wanted to die. But he didn't get to say when he left. But that wasn't so with Jesus you see, Jesus wanted people to know He was in control from the very beginning to the end of His life. He was in control of His path. That's why every time the leaders tried to kill Him, they couldn't. He says He just slipped through until it was His hour. He says, it's not my hour. But His hour is coming, and He knows it's a week. It's the last week, and He's going into Jerusalem. He didn't go there much. He spent 90% of His time up in Galilee and Capernaum. In that area, Chorazin, Bethsaida. He'd done lots of miracles up there. He did not do many miracles in Jerusalem. You ever wonder about that? But he's coming back and he comes back to Bethany and he does the most amazing miracle you could do. He raises Lazarus from the dead. And they were so blown away, they go, this is the guy. This is the man. Nobody's ever raised somebody who's been dead for three days. Four days. Yeah, that's right. He's stinking, right? Stinking But Jesus said, Lazarus, come out. And he came out. All the people wanted to make it. They were wanting to make him king. They were excited. This is the guy. And it's Passover week. And you know what happened at Passover week? They start getting this feeling, all these Jewish people like, Messiah could come. This could be this could be the Passover Messiah comes. What did Passover celebrate? The deliverance out of Egypt. Freedom. That was what it was about. How did God deliver them from Egypt? He did it with a strong hand. The Egyptian army pursued, and what did God do? He brought the water over them, wiped out most of the army. And they're saying, we're tired of Rome. We want a national military leader. This is the guy. When he raised Lazarus from the grave, they were thinking, this is the guy. And he's going in, and he tells his disciples, hey, go get a donkey. Now that would have caused a question mark for them, as everything else did for them, because they just didn't get it. But a donkey was representative of peace. And they're going, wait a minute. He's supposed to be going into the Antonio Fortress, which was the headquarters there in Jerusalem of Rome, to go in and kick them out. Because it was attached right near the temple. And they didn't like it being there at all. Have you ever been to a coronation? you ever been in a parade? You know what the, the feeling is? I mean, I'm not talking about 
a parade like in my hometown of Marina, Mississippi, where there's like five floats. I'm talking about a real parade. I'm talking about a military honors kind of thing, change of command. I loved when I graduated from the uh, officer candidate school and I got commissioned up there. We got, uh, we graduated and there was this big Marine parade where they had the Marine band and they, they were playing as we went by. Generals were there. It was awesome to be in that. Everybody was swept up in that moment. Now in Israel, during Passover week, their population would swell from somewhere around 200 to 400,000 up to almost 2 million people. Now, think about that. They, they're not set up like we are today with hotels everywhere to accommodate that many people. And, and you had to celebrate Passover in Jerusalem. So during this time of year, they would actually expand the uh, limits of the city to include people who could not get into Jerusalem proper. But they were having a parade and Jesus comes into town and he sends his disciples for a donkey and he comes in on a Monday. Now most of us have grown up hearing it was on a Sunday. We call it Palm Sunday, but it was a Monday. It was Nisan 10. 10 Nisan. That's significant for a lot of reasons. One, 10 Nisan was lamb selection day for the sacrifice that would take place on 14 Nisan. Think about that. The sacrifice that would take place later in the week, they picked that animal out on that Monday. And so Jesus comes into town on that specific day on a lamb. No coincidence. He knows exactly what's unfolding and he's in charge. The Passover was a celebration of freedom. And one of the things that the people were looking for, like I said, was a Messiah. So during Passover, different people would rise up throughout the years and try to be that Messiah and lead people. And so the Romans would tighten up their security during this time of year. And the religious leaders were very concerned about would-be Messiahs popping up. And so... That's the setting for what we're going to see in this passage. And if you want to turn to Matthew 21, we're going to read Matthew 21, 1 through 17. And we're going to look at seven things that God reveals about Jesus as the king here. Now, you've got to remember in the Old Testament, you had kings, you had priests, and you had prophets. Jesus is king, priest, and prophet. He's, he's not. He doesn't just have one office. He is our priest and that He's the mediator between us and God. That was the role of the priest. The prophet was the voice of God. The king was the rule of God. But Jesus brings them all three together. And He is the king that was prophesied. And the first thing that God reveals is that Jesus came to bring peace with God, not political or social justice. Unfortunately, in our culture here in America, a lot of churches have bought into the social justice thing. There's people who will feed the homeless, who take up social justice issues, and they never share the gospel with people. That's not what Jesus was about. He knew, Listen, do you think that this is the only time in history where people have been oppressed? 
people talk about how oppressed they are and how, how the poor, they're so underprivileged. You should have been in Jerusalem. There were poor people all over that place. And they were mistreated by the Romans. There was a great cry for justice and political reform. But that's not why Jesus came. Second thing he reveals that Jesus is the king who fulfills divine prophecy. There were specific prophecies made about him that he fulfilled to say, I am the one. I'm here. Will you believe? Third, God reveals that Jesus is a king who's not swayed by popular opinion. There's a lot of leaders, even today, their every move is based on what the people want, what the people think. A lot of pastors operate like that, don't they, Ronnie? Or Will? (laughs) He also has authority over God's temple. You see, in the Old Testament, the king didn't have authority over the temple. Do you know that? When Saul tried to go in and exercise authority there, he got rebuked by God severely for it. Even David, when he went in to the temple, depended upon the priest to tell him it was okay to take the showbread. Because the king did not have authority over the temple. The temple was God's. Jesus had authority over the temple because He was that King. He was also a King who had a passion for holiness and true worship. You know what holiness is? It's being set apart. And it's being set apart in a way that you you look more like God than you do the world that you live in. He had a passion for that. He also had a passion for true worship. There was not true worship taking place in the temple. We're going to see that here as we read through this. And he cleanses the temple. Not This is his second time to do it. But he cleanses the temple because he wants true worshipers. He doesn't want the false worship. I think we have a lot of false worship today. He also is a God and a king who has compassion on the needy. How many times have we talked about His compassion for the needy? We see it over and over. Jesus, even in the midst of cleansing the temple, still had a heart of compassion for the needy. And we're going to see that. And finally, He's a King. Jesus is a King who will be worshipped. Whether you choose to worship Him now, or your knee is bowed by the sheer force of His holiness, when you're on the other side, you will bow and worship Him. And you can become a true worshiper now and practice what it's going to be like for the other side. Or you can be prostrated there by the sheer power of His presence. Trust me, you want to practice. It shouldn't be strange to us. So, let's read the passage and we'll come back. We'll look at each one of these and we'll go through. I know it's a lot. Uh, Try to hang on. And we'll go through this, hopefully not too fast. All right. Starting in verse 1 of Matthew 21. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem and they came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them and he will send them at once. 
This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and they did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and they put on them their cloaks and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priest and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the Son of David, they were indignant. And they said to him, Do you hear what they're saying? Jesus said to them, Yes. Have you never read? Out of the mouths of infants and nursing babes you have prepared praise. And leaving them, he went out of the city to Bethany, and he lodged there. May God bless his word. He came to bring peace. He is a king who came to bring peace with God, not peace with Rome, not overthrow Rome, not political activism, not social justice activism. He came to bring peace with God. He was a mediator between man and God. And the people did not get that. The people wanted a national leader. What they wanted was somebody to come in and take all the Romans out of the Antonio Fortress and restore Israel to its former glory and who they were. And Jesus was in charge. Now you've got to remember, the crowd was swelling that was following Him. That They were chanting. They were wanting Him to be that leader. But He knew their hearts. He knew what they wanted. And that was not what He was going to allow to happen. He did allow public display of praise. But He did it in a way that He dictated. And what He did is on Lamb Selection Day, he chooses a donkey, sends the disciples, they get the donkey, they come in there, and the first time he came, he came on a donkey, a beast of burden, and it says humble and lowly. He didn't even ride on the donkey, the mother of the donkey, he rode on the foal, which is the colt, the baby, the young donkey, that's what he rode on, that had never been ridden. Have you, have you ever, first of all, have you ever been around a donkey? They are stubborn animals, right? And if you've ever seen young ones, they're even more stubborn than the parents. And yet Jesus rode on it. And it took Him through the town. It took Him right down the Mount of Olives. That same path we walked, He just came down that mountain. Hosanna! Hosanna! You know what that means? Save us. Save me. Save me. It's a political term. It's 
not a we make it a religious term. It was a political term. They're putting down olive branches. I mean palm branches. Palm branches. But he's coming with terms of peace. You see, when a king in the Old Testament wanted to come with terms of peace, he would ride a donkey. If he was come bringing terms of war, he would ride a stallion. If he was bringing judgment and war, he would bring a stallion. First time he came on a donkey. You turn over, we're not going to read it, but Revelation 19.11 says the next time he comes, he's coming on a stallion. We don't know when that is, but he ain't going to be no donkey the second time. He's brought his terms of peace. He's a mediator. Do you know what a mediator does? If you've ever been in a court of of any kind of lawsuits or anything, they bring a mediator in to bring this party in and this party to try to bring them together. His role was not to throw Rome out, but was to bring man back to God. To say, the things that I wanted to be happening have not been happening. And the men that were supposed to be in the temple leading people back to God, that were supposed to be the intermediaries, weren't doing that. They were taking advantage of the people. And so, he said, I'm going to go myself. So God came down through Jesus and came into town on a donkey on Lamb Selection Day. And I think as he was riding down that hill, the Mount of Olives, down to where they were, I wonder if he was thinking, will they select me? Will I be their lamb? Are they still going to buy into this old sacrificial system that has been so corrupted by the religious leaders? Are they going to choose that over me? Because I'm here on this day, Lamb Selection Day. He fulfilled divine prophecy. He says, from Zechariah 9.9, He says to fulfill prophecy, He did these. The children are crying out, Hosanna. Hosanna, that's from Psalm 118, I think. that They're saying that, and He's fulfilling this prophecy. Listen to what Psalm 118 says. Psalm 118, verse 25. says save us we pray O lord we give we pray give us success blessed is he who comes in the name of the lord we bless you from the house of the lord that's a psalm that's a psalm saying save us it's a military type term that they're saying of a political statement it's not a religious statement for them. These people are not thinking about God saving their souls. They're thinking about God restoring their fortune, their desires. They don't like being under Roman rule. They don't like what they've been dealt with in life. He fulfilled divine prophecy. They were laying down branches. You know that the palm branch was a national symbol of freedom to them? It was, a, it was like for us the stars and stripes. You know when you see that picture of Iwo Jima and the guys holding the flag, you see the flag. The flag symbolizes freedom for us. People wave the flag. Freedom, right? Well, for them it was a palm branch. 
And so when they're laying down the palm branches, what they're saying is, we want freedom, we want freedom. And then they're saying, Hosanna, save us, save us. On Lamb Selection Day. Now here's another interesting thing from Daniel chapter 9, verses 25 and 26. There was a period of time of 69 weeks. You remember that? The two weeks, or seven weeks, and then the 69 weeks until the Messiah came. The prince rode into the city. Do you know how many days that is? 173,880 days. 173,880 days. From the time that the, temp, uh, the wall would be rebuilt in Jerusalem. And do you know that it was exactly 173,880 days from the time Artaxerxes told Nehemiah he was free to go rebuild the wall and the day that Jesus rode in on the donkey. Exactly 173,880 days. What was foretold back in Daniel chapter 9 came to pass on the day Jesus rode in. It was... And he said something like, you should have known. Yeah. Yeah. It was the exact day. He fulfilled divine prophecy. Well, he not only fulfilled divine prophecy, he was not swayed by popular opinion. They were following because of Lazarus. But he didn't go to the Antonio Fortress. You know what he did? He went to the temple because he wanted to destroy man-made religion, not Rome. He came to, to set things right between man and God, not throw Rome out like they wanted. Because if he would have only thrown Rome out, the only people that would have benefited would have been those people there at that moment. But what he did had far bigger implications. Do you realize in our lives so often we want God to do something in our life, but we see so short-sighted. We only see what's right in front of us in our lifetime. Do you know, I, I think I shared this a couple of weeks ago, that God told Abraham to plant a tamarisk tree. You know what a tamarisk tree is? It's a very slow-growing tree in the Middle East. It requires a lot of water. Do you know how do you have... They didn't have sprinkler systems back then. You know how you had to water that tree in the desert? You had to go down to the source of water, the well, bring back, not just one little cup, you had to bring back water to keep it watered. But then years later, probably not even in your lifetime for a, for a lot of them, like at the time he was told to plant it, it was later in his life, he probably never benefited from the shade of that tamarisk tree but it was planted for his children and his grandchildren. And so often, we just think about here and now, the people just wanted Rome out. But Jesus came to do something much bigger. What he was going to do was going to affect their kids and grandkids, their kids' grandkids and great-grandkids, all the way down, because he was coming to defeat death. Hmm. He was coming to defeat death. And so... He goes to the temple. 
Because he had authority over God's temple. He walks in, starts turning the tables. Now you got to remember, about this time, there would have been thousands of people in that outer court. Now, just to give you a, a quick overview of the, the way it worked, you walk in to, there's an outer wall to the temple. It's, if you go there today, it's not like it was. You only see the, the western wall was one part of it, but you... They, there's a recreation of it. They have this at their Israel Museum. You can see what it looked like. But you go through this outer wall, and then you go into a court of Gentiles. That means anybody could have gone in there. Even Jewish people, if they were unclean, could go in there. Gentiles could go in there. But the court of the Gentiles, uh, once you got through that, you had to go through a gate called Gate Beautiful. That gate opened up into the court of women or the treasury. Everybody couldn't go through the beautiful gate. Only Jewish men and women could go through the, the gate. If you went through that gate, Rome had given the Jewish people permission to kill anybody that went through that gate. So you couldn't just go through there. You see, there was a prescribed way to come before God. He had, he had laid it out. You just couldn't go before Him. See, our culture says you come to God any way you want and, he, and you can come to God the way you are. But He's not going to leave you that way. And He has set the terms for how you come to Him. There's only one way to get to God. And that's through Jesus, period. I don't care what Oprah says. I don't care what anybody else says. There's only one way to get to God. And it has to go through the door of Jesus. doesn't matter what popular opinion is. And this gate was the beautiful gate. And so you went into that to the court of women, the treasury there, and it was kind of the outer court. Then from that, there was a gate called the Nicanor Gate. A wealthy Alexandrian Jew named Nicanor gave him that. It took 20 men to open that gate. 20 men. But you went from that gate into the court of the Israelites. And in the court of the Israelites, only the men could go in there. And when they went in there, that's where they prepared the sacrifice. Now, let me go back to the court of the Gentiles. The court of the Gentiles was this big open area around the inner circle of the temple, and they had made it thoroughfares. It was easier just to walk through that than go around the whole temple. So people were doing business in there anyway because it was called Annas' Bazaar. Annas was the high priest, and he just said, hey, I got an idea. Why don't we sell space inside the court of the Gentiles? And so they allowed uh, lamb sellers, dove sellers, pigeon sellers, money changers, all kinds of different people selling things, uh, salts and, and perfume, myrrh, all kinds of goods could be sold in there, in the outer court area of the temple. And so when Jesus started his ministry back in John 2, he went in and said, you've made this a house of merchandise. This is not what this is supposed to be about. So he started his ministry there and he finishes his ministry there. Cleansing the temple. Not one time told a different way like some people suggest. He starts his ministry there. He ends his ministry there. Because he makes different statements. And here's the thing. When he started it, he said, this is my father's house. This is my father's house. When he finishes it, he quotes from the Old Testament. He says, this is my house. My house shall be a house of prayer. 
He makes a definitive statement. He has authority over the temple. You know where his temple is today? It's here. It's here. In the Old Testament, before Jesus came, it was come and see God. In the New Testament, it's go and be God. See, He makes it from coming to see God there to going and be God out among the people. We are His temple and the same authority that He had there, He has over us. I don't always get that. I don't always live like that. But He has authority. And He has a passion for holiness and true worship. And Annas created this bazaar all in the name of uh, you know, religion. And you know what he would do? The, the priest had to approve the sacrifice. And if the sacrifice was not approved by the priest, it wouldn't work. So all the vendors in there, guess what? Do you think their sacrifices got approved? Yeah, because they were inside. But what about the guy who's over in Bethany, outside the temple? Or what about the guy over, over near um, you know, Bethlehem, where they raised a lot of sheep? The word was that you pay ten times for a lamb on the inside of the temple what you would pay on the outside of the temple. Do you think Annas was getting a cut of that? Of course he was. He was corrupt. And the money changers in there, because you couldn't go in there with foreign currency, you would go in there and you'd have to change money. 25% is what they would charge, which was robbery. But you'd go into that court of the Israelites to prepare an offering, and then the priest would take it. They would go into the court of the priest, and then only one guy would go to the holies of holies. But that's what you did. That was the temple. And they had all made this just really an abomination to the Lord. And Jesus came in there. I just want you to imagine for a second. I'm not going to do it. But if I just took this and started throwing tables in here, you would, people would be like, what is going on? Now you think about that. All the thousands of people in there and he's throwing tables over. Boom, boom. Get out of here. Get out of here. Telling people to get out. It says in Mark, he wouldn't let people in. They couldn't use it as a thoroughfare. And for a moment, there was a cleanliness there that had not been there. And those people probably were afraid. They probably scattered. They were probably trying to grab their money that he's thrown on the floor and get their animals and all that. But he's going, get out! You made this a den of thieves. And a couple of blind and lame people come up to him. They come up to him and they want to be healed. And he heals them. They weren't afraid to approach him. Why? They were needy. They weren't fleecing anybody. They healed them. He healed them both. And the kids that were there... Now, if you were on our trip this past year, remember when we were walking there and those, those young men were doing their bar mitzvah, bar mitzvah and they were going in there and they had this ceremony? I think that's what's going on here because the term is young boy. And so these young boys see probably what's going on. He's overturned the tables and then he's healing this guy and they're going... Hosanna! Hosanna! They're crying and praising Him. Son of David, they use His messianic title. And when they do, they see His passion for holiness and for what true worship is. The leaders, the religious leaders, it says they got indignant. 
And it's interesting that Matthew uses the same word there for indignant that he uses back talking about the, uh, the ten disciples who were indignant with James and John for asking. That word means, it means a jealousy because of perceived unfairness. And what they were saying is, you, you don't, who are you to get this kind of praise? They, these kids are using the messianic title. Do you, do you hear what they're saying? And what does he say? I love it. Yes, I hear. I hear. I do hear. Over in Luke, he says, if they don't cry out, the stones are going to cry out. He's going to be worshipped, guys. He has compassion on the needy and he's going to be worshipped. So here's the question for us as we look at this today and we really just kind of do an inventory in our own life which Jesus are you following you see the people wanted a Jesus that was user defined they wanted a user defined Jesus we want him to do this he says no I came to do this are you standing with Jesus or the crowd because the crowd wanted him when they thought he was going to give them what they wanted. But then when he comes in and says what he's really about, and he's taken, and everything he said was coming to fruition, he told his disciples, they knew, I'm going to be crucified. And sure enough, he's going through the process, and even they scattered. Will you choose him to be your sacrificial lamb? It's selection day. Because you're not going to be a true worshiper if you don't. Here's the thing. God created you and me for a dependent relationship on Him. And every day we wake up in our own human nature, we don't want to follow God. There's nothing uh, about our human nature that inclines us to want to follow God. We want to be our own leaders. We want to do our own thing. We want to provide for ourselves. We don't want to have to depend on Him. We want to do life our way. The Bible says that's sin because we're self-led, self-directed instead of seeking Him. We don't give Him credit except in some superficial way a lot of times. And the Bible says because of that sin, we've been separated and we earn death. It says it this way in Romans, for the wages of sin and death is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We earn death, but that's not what He wants us to have. He wants to give us eternal life. So 2,000 years ago, He sent His Son Jesus who lived a perfect life. He walked the earth. He healed the sick, raised the dead to prove that He was who He said He was. He fulfilled all these prophecies. And He said, I'm going to go to the cross. I'm going to die. Three days later, I'm going to rise again to prove that I paid the penalty and God is satisfied. And if you will simply believe in Me, not believe in the facts about Me, not believe in the death on the cross, but believe in Me. Follow Me. Trust me. See, somehow that message got morphed into, I believe Jesus died on the cross. Well, so did the demons. They believed that. They, they were there. They saw that. It's not about believing what He did. It's believing in Him. Giving Him the proper place in, his, in your life. He is our Savior, our Lord, our King, our Priest, our Prophet. And he said, if anybody will call on me and let me have that place, I will put my spirit in them 
and I will begin to grow in them a new heart, a heart that wants to read the Word, a heart that wants to communicate with the Father, and a heart that wants to depend on the Father. Not a perfect heart, this side of heaven, but a heart that is growing, being conformed to the image of Christ. And I will never leave you. And guys, as somebody who's been walking with him for 40 years, he's never left me. And you've got to understand, when you come to him, he wants you to then go out and spread his kingdom in the world. And the way we spread his kingdom is not simply telling people about him. That's part of it. But it's being obedient to him. Remember, in the Hebrew concept, to spread somebody's kingdom is to spread their will, their, your obedience. When you obey them, you're spreading their kingdom when you obey them wherever you go. So the question is, are we really spreading his kingdom? When people see us, do they see a people that are obedient to the Lord? Do they see a people that have chosen him as their sacrifice? And are we true worshipers? They weren't. Most of them. There were some, but most of them weren't. And you know what it says? He left. He left them. He went back to Bethany. And we're going to see next week, he curses a fig tree as a symbol of their lack of fruit in life. Because if you're his, he will produce fruit. It may just be a little, but there will always be fruit. No fruit, probably not any faith. Best case, you're very immature. Worst case, you're not even there. You're rocky soil, weedy soil. And my prayer is that you're not either of those, that you're the good soil, and that maybe you just need some fertilizer. So hopefully God will put some in. And uh, where's that prayer list? Father, thank You so much for Your Word and reminder that You are our sacrifice. You are the God of all creation who sent Your Son And Lord, He willingly laid down His life as our sacrifice. And Lord, if there's someone here today who wants to choose Him, who's maybe been in church, maybe prayed prayers, maybe walked an aisle, maybe even been baptized, but they never really chosen Jesus. They've never really allowed Him to be who He is supposed to be in their life. I pray that right now that that would happen, that they would just articulate that to you in their own words I choose you today, Jesus. I want to follow you. I pray, Lord, for those of your followers who are in this room who've already prayed that, who may not be following, but who have been distracted by the things of this world. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us. Help our our hearts to remain strong, Lord, as we follow you and to spread your kingdom authority by obeying your will and really seeking it. And when we don't, Lord, gently remind us, strengthen us that we might, like your servant Peter did, go strengthen others who are also weak. So thank you for this word. Lord, thank you for each person here. We want to pray, Lord, for one of our brothers who needs rent for February. I just pray uh, that you would be the God who provides for him. And pray for Lord Mike, who's having surgery. Lord, we uh, pray for Teresa and for uh, she lost her vision in ICU and and down in Shands. And we just pray for your comfort for her and healing for her. And uh, we pray for Susan Wright, who desperately needs hope.
Lord, we just pray that you would bring people around her that would encourage her. We love you and we praise you. And Lord, thank you so much for your son, Jesus. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face and his grace shine upon you. And may he lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Amen. Amen.